Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome! You've got digital folklore. This is the story of Perry Carpenter and Mason Amadeus. Oh, and a talking raccoon named Digby. There's no time to explain. Together, they're on an adventure to unlock the secrets of modern folklore, interviewing experts, and delving into online rabbit holes. But, <laughs> as it turns out, they may be in over I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. And this is Digital Folklore. You know, I thought you'd be a little more thankful than this. I told you I was a collector of sorts. I thought you might like to share in my collection. I thought the things I had to show you were interesting. I've been nothing but helpful to you. You realize that? I could have just kicked you out. Back when you were loitering around my shop and bothering my customers, but I didn't. Instead, I spent my days quietly making sure you two had the adventure of a lifetime. Figuring out who you should bump into, throwing interesting stuff your way, making sure every detail worked out just right. I even sold you my personal TV VCR and knocked ten bucks off the sticker price. Do you remember that, huh? And now this is how you want to repay all my kindness. You have no... You have no idea how much I have sacrificed for you. Have either of you tried standing up a pocket universe? It's not easy! Not to mention Mandela jumping two whole adults into it. I spent months trying to figure out how to pull that off. And why? Why would I do that? Why would old Todd here want to put all his time and effort into a couple of strangers? Because I'm a good guy. Because I like you. Because I said to myself, I said, hey, Todd, why don't you try using your powers to help someone else for a change? And then I see you guys coming in here with your little show and your big dreams. And I figure, I figure, why not? Why don't make your dreams come true? You're welcome. But now, you know, my patience has run out. I wanted to give you wanted to give you one last... Ugh. Hold on a second, guys. 
What do you want? I'm firing my laser! Introduce yourself, so just your your full name, and then however you like to describe yourself. Meme Warfare! Where did you get that? I don't know. It was in a case labeled Shoop de Whoop. That's... That's like an extremely old and really problematic meme. Makes sense why Todd hey, would have it. Guys, um, we gotta run. I don't think he's gonna stay down for long. Right. So what what was that? I don't know what Todd is, but this proves that I was right. Okay, yes. Where are we gonna go? This is the part where you have to trust me. Into the van. Come on. Buckle in tight and hold on. Where are we going? I think our best bet is to pay Mark a visit up at that wizard tower. If our reality is being shaped by Todd, oh my then God. I Perry, think... Perry, listen. WTOD, good afternoon. I've got 30 minutes of commercial free rock coming up for you right after this break. But right now, I have a special message to deliver for three of our most dedicated listeners. You think you can just drive away and be done with this? Sorry, fellas, that's not how this works. Why don't you all just come back to the shop and we can have a civilized conversation? Oh, also, uh, watch out. Road's closed. Hold on! What? I've got an idea. What are we gonna... What do we do? I know a shortcut. But if Todd can just... Whoa! I'm Daisy Allstone, and I'm one of the creators of Folkwise. What? So question number one, um, I'm always interested in knowing like, like what emoji do you use way too often or which one do you wish you could just kill? I always use the skull emoji. So this is like, um, this shows my zillennial, my like Gen Z millennial <laughs> cusper. I was born in 1985. So I'm like right on the cusp sometimes. So I do some things that are different. Anyway, the millennial laugh reaction is like, the haha and like people talk about boomer laugh reaction this is broad generalizations from <laughs> studies of people who who use different emojis or it's like the cry laugh for everything right and then the millennials are a little bit more tame they just use like a regular laugh react or whatever but i always use the skull emoji because it's like i laugh so hard i died yeah <laughs> or it's like actually yeah. it's either that or it's that <laughs> i'm dying inside because of <laughs> like horrible this existence is right. um, or whatever the joke is. So I use that a lot, but there is, I have a custom emoji on discord. That's like, it's the cry laughing face, but it's like melted. So it's like a squished face. Like you've yet to become the skull. You're not fully there yet. <laughs> I'm Elizabeth Tucker, Libby for short. My title is distinguished service professor of English at Binghamton university. <laughs> I definitely have one emoji that I use more often than any other one. It's the sidewise smiling crying emoticon, which shows that you're you're laughing till you cry at something which is ridiculous or incongruous. And there seem to be a lot of yeah. those things around. I don't know if I'd want to kill off any of the emojis because they all seem to be necessary for people in different ways. But the one that bothers me a little bit is the anger emoticon because I think we have too much anger in our lives and using that seems to up the ante a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I always see that because I I post on social media and then so every now and then 
um, will promote a post as a podcast. And every now and then there'll be that little anger emoji. And I'm always like, why? It'd, it'd be interesting to have a discussion with that person. And I think sometimes the, the emoticon for anger may kill off the impetus for more productive discussion. I agree. I think it sometimes makes people, including me, a little uncomfortable to start seeing anger because that might mean you escalate into a fight, yeah. which we used to call a flame war back in the early days. You remember? Oh, yeah. I haven't thought of that phrase in a while. The internet, the alt groups, and there was one called alt folklore for a while. And um, I did an early research project on Barney the Dinosaur online, and people were expressing this huge uprising of anger against Barney and saying that he was the antichrist and he was going to ruin their children. And, and <laughs> it was amazing how much came out of one purple cartoon character. The little anger emoji isn't that major, but it still bothers me a little bit because I know how furious people can get mm. online, including in my family. Some of my cousins have yeah. battles and it just, because it's more neutral and you don't have to be there dealing with the fallout, it's easy to post these emojis, but sometimes they can go in a direction that's going to be difficult. My name is Dr. Christina Downs. I am the director of the Texas Folklore Society. I really don't use emojis, uh, hardly at all. Okay. I, I think I'm a really non-visual oriented person. So back, you know, a million years ago when we were still making our emojis with like actually a semicolon and a parentheses. I still do that so much. I, I still do as well. <laughs> that was sort of where I stalled out. And every now and then I'll do a smiling face or a, a winky face. If I want to make sure somebody knows something was meant sarcastically or humorously or something like that, I'm worried about being misunderstood, but I'm really not an emoji person. Are, are you like me in that whenever I, I actually type it out, I get annoyed whenever it translates it to the actual emoji? I do. <laughs> any, any emoji that you wish would go away? I don't feel really strongly about this, but one that annoys me is what I think is usually called the prayer hands. And that's because it's so mm. easily misunderstood, sort of like, what are we praying for? Or are those applause hands? Or what's what's sort of going on there? And there's that emoji is ambiguous and not helpful. My name is Josh Chapdelaine. I am the co-founder at Digital Void. What emoji do you either use way too often or would you rather just kill the next time you see it? I'm going to answer both. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to do so in a as objective view as possible by looking at my most frequent emojis. <laughs> oh, okay. Data-driven approach. Love it. The emoji that I use way too frequently as an anxious millennial is the crying with laughter emoji. So as to never be viewed as cold or cynical via text message. And the emoji that I would absolutely love to kill is the winking emoji with the tongue out. Yeah, <laughs> that one's heinous. Uh, yeah, that makes you feel dirty, doesn't it? <laughs> that emoji makes me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> Great answer. My name is Cassandra Pfeiffer, and I teach folklore, and I teach some literature classes, but folklore is really it's my jam. Uh, the one that I use most often is the sideways laughing face. So much so that I will force myself to use the upright laughing face because I'm like, no, it's not that funny, Cassie. 
It's the same negotiation. Yep. It's like when you use too many exclamation marks and you're like, stop it. It's not that exciting. I mm-hmm. do the same thing with the laughing emoji. Um, oh, and if I could get rid of one, you know, the the thumbs up sometimes hits me as weird. So I'm like, but what does that mean? Are you, is it okay? Are you like, is this a passive aggressive thumb ups? Is it what's happening with this? So the thumbs up, yeah, that one is one that I kind of like find myself overthinking what the meaning of it is when they use it, especially when it's like, there's you ain't a favor for me. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll yeah. say like, I'm on my way now. And then they send me the thumbs up and I'm like, are you mad at me? <laughs> right. I'm so sorry for existing. <laughs> I, know. All right. I didn't mean to be a burden. <laughs> right. So I, so I think what we're getting at, though, is that the emojis that we don't like are the ones that are still ambiguous. Even though we try to use emojis to kill ambiguity, there are ambiguous emojis. And then we're like, I don't know that I don't like that. Yeah, exactly. I'm Joel Best. I'm a professor of sociology and criminal justice at the University of Delaware. I'm, I'm, I'm too old to, to use emojis. I've, I've probably used three of them in my life. And uh, I, I have very carefully not used social media. I have no social media presence at all. And that's because I have a life. Uh, you know, and, and I'm trying, you know, I, I, I goof off a tremendous amount. I mean, I, I waste yeah. a tremendous amount of time. But, uh, you know, I'm also trying to get things done. Yeah. And I think that uh, social media, as far as I can tell, is just the colossal pineapple. Hey, listeners, if you're like me and enjoy escaping to a real movie theater, then Regal Unlimited just makes sense. It's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions. And your membership lets you get into premium format shows like IMAX and 4DX at a reduced cost. Plus, you'll save 10% on all non-alcoholic concessions. Regal Unlimited. It's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. So, if you're planning on seeing a couple movies this month, join Regal Unlimited. Now is the best time as summer's coming up. Sign up now in the Regal app or on the website at regmovies.com slash unlimited. And be sure to use the code FOLKLORE24 to get 10% off a three-month subscription. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. 
And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. I can't believe there's a road out here. We're in the middle of the woods. It's not only Todd who has control. I, I think he's built in affordances for us to shape reality too. Just what? Just a little bit. What are you talking about? I think about it. Todd trapped us in this alternate dimension, and basically everywhere we go, we've been tripping over interesting people, and half of them are folklorists. Yeah, I mean, Todd's trying to claim this is all some sick and twisted way to give us what we want. Right, but we're also seeing that there's a limit to his powers. I don't think he's micromanaging every little thing that's happening in this universe. I think at least part of it is based off what we perceive, what we want, what we believe. So I had a theory, and it looks like it worked. Oh? I didn't know that there was going to be a road here. What? Yeah. Confession time. This, This shortcut... I didn't actually have an idea. I just... Oh, my God. I tried to convince myself that there would be a road here, and it seems like whatever principles this weird universe of Todd's operates on is a little bit like that book, The Secret. Oh, my God. Perry, you could have killed us driving off the road into the woods. Remember episode one, Manifestation. I knew if I just believed hard enough. No, dude, you just got lucky. I don't think playing Tinkerbell with our lives is a good idea. Digby, back me up here. I don't know, man. It kind of makes sense to me. But last time I started talking like that, we found out I had a brain virus. Look, if you have any other ideas, I'm wide open here. Where is this shortcut going? I'd like to believe it goes straight to Mark's wizard tower. And when we get there, what are you thinking we do? I'm thinking we get Mark to teleport us back to our home universe. Oh, my God. I know, it sounds stupid, but trust me, you have basically what's left of this drive to convince yourself that it'll work. Mark dresses like a wizard. He lives in a wizard tower. All it's going to take for him to do magic, and I, I mean real magic, is us believing that he can. We're going to die. Not going to die. I'm going to put this out here, just in case we don't die. You two owe me big time. Oh, yeah? What do you want? I want a car. My own car. Yo, okay, what? Like one of those little cars the Shriners drive around? No. I want a 1991 Geo Tracker. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, no, I could totally see you driving one of those. Yeah, we could make that happen. Those little things are cool. What color do you want? Okay. I was thinking blue, and then we could paint orange flames on it. Nice. Or a red one, but not maroon. More like the red car behind us. Red car? They're coming up quick. Oh, oh God. I changed my mind. Oh, my God. I want blue. Crap, 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 Is that Todd? Crap. Is it Todd? I, I can't see. L- okay, what do we... I, I can start throwing stuff out the back. Oh, my God. Did not want to have to do this. What? Sit tight. I'm going to punch the nitro. What? This this van has knots? Aw, oh, sick. Hopefully this works. Was that my voice, man? Oh, I... 
Daisy Allstone. What is your favorite urban or contemporary legend? And is there a way that you could tell us that, uh, like a friend of a friend or campfire style? Yeah, you made me think about it. Because at first I was like, oh my gosh, like, do I have a favorite one? Like, I guess I could say thylacines, but that's a little, I don't know. I feel like I talk about that all the time. But then when I was thinking about it, um, some people don't know that cryptids exist on the internet. And what, what I mean is not like a cryptid coming from like our physical world going into a virtual world, but rather there are virtual cryptids that are not written in code that people see and appear in places. So like one of my favorite yeah. ones um, is Herobrine in Minecraft. Remember my kids talking about Herobrine. Yes. Yeah. Herobrine is so interesting. So I think like the friend of a friend version of this story is that a person on a forum was playing Minecraft and they had like their render distance on the video game like lower, I think. So it's harder to see far away. And they saw the character Steve, who is like your main avatar that you play, but oh, not as the person. They saw Steve, but far away. And then this independent character that appeared during their gameplay, which should not be there, turned its head and it has bright, glowing white eyes. When the person got on this server, a character came up called Herobrine, and they're like, who's Herobrine? Nobody's on this server named Herobrine or whatever. They exited the session, and then they came back, and that person was gone and was never in the code. Like, the character's entrance into the game was not in the data collected from the game itself. Yeah. So it was like they disappeared. <laughs> like, it was, a rant, it was like a, a glitch or something like that. I think that there's deeper lore to this, too. There's something related to, like, Herobrine being the brother of, like, the yep. original creator who we will not talk about too much because he kind of sucks. <laughs> and then it's, like, <laughs> transferred on. And Herobrine has sort of taken on this life of his own. But I think the interesting thing about that is cryptids, like, appear in games. And this isn't just unique to Minecraft. Like, this happens in other games, too. It's like literally an apparition in the game that wasn't supposed to be there, that there's screenshots of, kind of goes into creepypasta, but it's like a real experience that this person had. My name is Dr. Christina Downs. I'll tell it more or less as well as I do remember being told it the first time, which was right around the time I turned 16. My mother told it to me. What she told me was that this happened to someone that my aunt knew. I was at the time my family's living in Virginia, my aunt's living in Dallas. It's about a woman who was driving home from work late one night, she's kind of tired, has a long way to drive through a not super populated area. She's on the interstate and there's a truck behind her that keeps flashing its brights at her. And the first time it does, she thinks, oh, he just wants to get around me. So she moves over and he doesn't pass. He falls back in behind her and keeps flashing his brights at her. And it's making her progressively nervous. So she starts kind of taking some turns. Like, okay, well, I'll get off at this exit and get away from him. But he takes the exit after her. And then when she gets back on the interstate, he follows her back onto the interstate. So it becomes very clear that he's following her. And she doesn't really know what to do. So she just decides to drive home. She knows that her husband's waiting at home. She knows that her husband has a gun. She's thinking that if she can just get home, hopefully she can get into the house fast enough to get away from this man that's following her. As she turns into her driveway, she starts blaring on the horn to get her husband's attention. Her husband comes out of the house, onto the porch, and she runs out of her car towards him, screaming that someone's been following her. 
The truck does pull in behind her, but to her great surprise, the truck driver doesn't follow her. He goes to her car. He goes to her back seat, actually opens the back door and pulls a man out of her back seat and starts uh, beating on this man to subdue him. And it turns out that this truck driver had seen a man hiding in her back seat with a knife and that every time he flashed his brights, it's because the man was raising the knife, ready to put it to her throat and the bright light would make him duck down. And so he was actually following her in order to protect her, not to attack her. Part of why it's my favorite one is because it's a really teachable one. It's really easy to uh, get students to see how it's used in terms of when people are told the story and what message the story is sending. I also like it because I think I get that uh, as someone who studies crime and studies the intersections of folklore and crime. It gets at a really uncomfortable truth about crime, which is that in most stories, the danger is the stranger lurking in the bushes, right? It's distant from you. Yeah. And part of the point of the killer in the backseat is that she thinks the danger is this sketchy looking truck that's following her. And then it actually turns out that the danger is much closer, which is true in reality. The danger is usually much closer to you than you'd be comfortable with. I'm Elizabeth Tucker, Libby for short. We usually ask people what their favorite contemporary legend is, contemporary legend or urban legend. What is the one that comes to mind with the most fondness? Oh, sure. Um, my, I would say my favorite legend is The Vanishing Hitchhiker because it is spread all over the world. It exists in so many different variant forms. It goes back to the 19th century. And I've, I've lived in Binghamton for a long time. There are local variants of The Vanishing Hitchhiker right here that you can tell go back a long way because they're about a young lady in Victorian times going out with a horse and buggy and then having a fatal accident and then appearing by the side of Route 17 on the anniversary of the day when she died. In some versions, she's coming back to visit her parents and I like this story partly because it's often a consolation story that mm. the victim who died wants to connect with a mother or father, maybe both parents, or maybe a random person met along the road. My name is Josh Chapdelaine. I think when we look at urban legends specifically related to the internet age, the first legend that came to mind is the story of Slenderman. And I think that Slenderman is so uniquely digital and of our moment, and specifically of this millennium, in that it's both a timeless tale as well as a demonstration of the harms of how digital storytelling and legends can permeate physical reality. The beginnings of a copy pasta that create an aura and a lore around a myth that drove several teenagers to attack their, at the time, with someone they called a friend. And so I think that the story itself is relatively interesting, but the implications are more where my work and my focus is. My name is Cassandra Pfeiffer. One that I learned about is when I moved to Nebraska. It's located in Omaha in this park called Hummel Park. And I might be mispronouncing that because I mispronounce a lot of the Nebraskan words. But it's this big wooded park and the legend is that there's this group of albino cannibals that live in the park and they hide in the trees and they look for people to come walking past them. And when I came upon it, I was like, albino cannibals, huh? That's interesting. 
I picture them almost like Gollum living in the Nebraskan woods, <laughs> crouched down and hiding, waiting for people to come by. So that's one that's stuck in my mind for a little while now. Okay. Al- cannibal albinos in Hummel Park. I'm keeping this tab open. <laughs> what do you think the 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 origin story of that is? Is there a moral to the story? Is there a bit of history that plays into it? What's going on there? Uh, I think that probably the most common, uh, like the biggest thing would be the relationship people have to the wilderness, ghosts and all the kind of things. Mm-hmm. The wilderness and the woods is just chock full of what we can't see and causes us to have so much fear. And then you throw in the colonial impulse to create that savage narrative that it just makes the woods such a space for us to put all of that out there. I'm Joel Best. Outside of the Halloween urban legends uh, and conspiracies, what is your favorite urban legend? I mean, a, a former student and I wrote a whole book called Kids Gone Wild. And uh, it was about all of these fears that, you know, young people are, are are going out of control. And there is, of course, very little evidence that young people are going out of control. And one of the things that I, I found that, I, that really entertained me was the term parking, okay, which meant, you know, going to a secluded place in a car with a special friend. You know, it it originates in the 1920s and it refers to couples who should be dancing, but they're just coming too close together. And one of the things I like to do is start with today's fears and then let's work back, okay? You know, these kids today aren't going to, you know, they're not learning anything in school. The school's going to hell. The Chinese are going to eat our lunch. Let's go back a generation these kids today are not learning anything in schools. The Japanese are going to eat our lunch. Go back a generation. These kids today, it's the Russians. Go back two generations, it's the English and the Germans. You know, you can find people worrying that American schools aren't as good as they used to be in the 1840s. Now, the 1840s is when public education started. Mm. You know, So our schools have been continually getting worse for 180 years. We could do the same thing. With, with fears about children. You know, it turns out that this generation's rainbow parties was, was, was you know, this and this and this, and you, uh, you get back to people worrying about, about close dancing and, and uh, you know, go, going steady was huge as a social problem. Clever, 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 clever. Maybe I misunderestimated these guys. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have let the raccoon talk. That was probably a step too far. But I mean, a talking raccoon? Come on, (laughs) that's the good stuff. Ungrateful, that's what they are. We want to make a podcast, Todd. Wah, wah, wah. Interesting things keep happening to us. Life is so hard. Boo hoo hoo. See if I ever do anyone a favor again. They don't know how hard this is on me. Keeping everything together all the time? Someone ought to teach them a lesson about being kind to local business owners. Where are you off to now? You guys are killing me. Things get a little too weird, a little too supernatural, and where do you go? You look for magic. 
try to fight the unexplainable with the unexplainable? How very human might work, too, honestly. Too bad they gotta get halfway there first. And then halfway from there. <laughs> and then halfway from there. And halfway from there. <laughs> Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Daisy Allstone. Which thing within your browser history would be the most uncomfortable to explain? I watch a lot of true crime. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I feel, and I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily think people would expect that of me. (laughs) So maybe like my search for like dreading podcasts like crime and psychology on YouTube or like. Um, this is Monsters podcast. I listen to a lot of true crime, which is kind of, it's like weirdly voyeuristic and it makes me uncomfortable to think about other people thinking of me as a voyeur. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there is something, there's something compelling about like, I don't know, human psychology. When I was, um, I majored in folklore in undergrad, which is kind of rare. Most schools don't have a folklore undergrad program. I got kind of lucky that something just happened for me. Um, But my first major was psychology because I wanted to be a criminal psychologist. So I don't know. Maybe there's just something about me that's interested in why people do or why or how people do things that are so extreme. Like how does somebody come to that uninhibited emotional act? Yeah. Like I think that's really interesting that people just kind of they become sensory overloaded. Or not, or they're premeditating it. They're not dealing with it. I think that all of those steps to get to the point of uh, a crime, a murder, whatever it is, is very fascinating. That, like, so many people had to say that person could do something bad, but no one seemed to do anything about it. It's like Mm -hmm. all this talk. I think that's really interesting. So maybe that. (laughs) Yeah. If it's comforting at all, it's obviously not just you because that's a very, you know. Obviously (laughs) not. Yeah. Right. Right. It's a huge genre. And one of my good friends, um, Caitlin Kinney, who also works on Folkwise, uh, tagged as Death Lorist on Twitter Mm. and on Instagram. She studies death and mourning and particularly right to die movements. But she's really interested in true crime also. Um, So we bond over that a little bit. What was her name? Yeah. 
Caitlin Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y. She's really cool. The death florist. <laughs> my name is Dr. Christina Downs. <laughs> because so much of my research deals with crime, I do a lot of research on the intersections of folklore and crime, uh, kind of how contemporary true crime media follows legend patterns. I'm working on a book project right now on serial killers as contemporary monster narratives. And so I spend a lot of time Googling things related to serial killers or famous uh, crime cases or random things related to crime. And then sometimes somebody will use an acronym or I look a lot at online true crime communities. And so someone will use an acronym. Oh, I don't know what that stands for. And I Google it. And it's something I really wish I hadn't ever found out what it meant. (laughs) Right. So a lot of my search history relates to crime, relates to violence, relates to pretty horrific stuff. So my search history could definitely look incriminating. I'm Elizabeth Tucker, Libby for short. Oh, yes. Well, probably lots of them in different ways. I'm the only folklorist on our campus. And so Mm -hmm. the the work I do is so different from my colleagues, although we do have more people in our English department working on cultural studies now. So they're working on censorship or Title IX responses and things like that. But I guess I would say the part of my research that might be the hardest to explain might be my research on teenagers choking games on YouTube. Ooh, okay. Because that was an uncomfortable subject. It was uncomfortable for me sometimes looking at it, but I th- I think it is it's very important to understand why it is that people need to flirt with danger in their games sometimes. It's a an important part of growing up and many of us have done this in different ways, but when it comes to choking games It's a very contentious and troubling subject. Yeah. Describe what those are real quick for somebody that's not run across them. Oh, sure. They're sometimes called fainting games as well. And they can happen in different ways with either just a brief hand around the neck or sometimes even a rope, which is really dangerous. Oh, wow. Yeah. I tried in my research to understand what kids, mainly young teenagers, were doing, how they were expressing this on YouTube. And how dangerous it could be for young people to see videos of this kind that offered them a chance to learn how to do it themselves. When you're young, you feel invulnerable. I felt invulnerable too. I used to play a game with my friends in Japan where we lay down in front of cars and waited till the last minute to get up. But, you know, when you have a video that's explaining exactly how to play this kind of game, then that's that's dangerous. It's really not. YouTube has tried to police these videos. I think they do a much better job at removing the ones that are worst for people, but it's hard for them to keep them all off. Mm -hmm. Similarly, the Blue Whale Suicide Challenge, which I've worked with much more recently, an article published in Trevor Blank and Andrew Peck's book, Folklore and Social Media, all about how there was supposedly a set of 50 dangerous challenges for teenagers to follow. And you would do one and then you would go on to the next and the most dangerous at the end would be to jump off a building or to mm. do something else. Uh, so I, I studied this set of reports of the challenge for an entire year. I put out Google keyword alerts and studied what was going on around the world, particularly in India. There was a lot mm. going on in India and learned that 
This had spread around the world in very interesting ways, including allegations that Satan was to blame for this challenge. Uh, but some of the best research was done by Alexandra Arkhipova and other young Russian scholars who kind of went underground and became involved in Russian teenagers' group talk about this oh, wow. suicide okay. challenge. And they were able to figure out for their own participation that this was teenagers bullying and harassing other teenagers. My name is Josh Chapdelaine. What is something in your browser history that would be uncomfortable or awkward to, to explain, but is totally legit? The amount of times I've searched for Dark Brandon in the last year <laughs> and all related content associated with Dark Brandon, Let's Go Brandon, and anything related to dog whistles okay. is incredibly uncomfortable because I think that it can tend to influence or sway your algorithm in a particular direction where sometimes I log on to YouTube and my recommendations are certainly not aligned with my interests. <laughs> or those those ads that are like the programmatically generated t-shirt ads or suddenly have slogans. Yes. That are, uh... And all of a sudden I'm being sold supplements and nootropics for people 30 to 40 years my senior and of a different <laughs> ideology. <laughs> yeah. I somehow, I don't know what I did, but I had somehow, I screwed up my Instagram algorithm apparently because I've started getting AI I am preg content. And I was like, why am I seeing this? Have I made too many pregnant Sonic jokes? <laughs> like, yeah, I think that the more you explore the quirky, weird side of the internet, the more you're almost hacking the system by being not truly surveillable or targetable. And I think that's actually a really beautiful thing. My name is Cassandra Pfeiffer. I think that people would think I'm more obsessed with celebrity culture than I actually am because I'm always looking up the ages of celebrities. So like, why are you looking uh -huh, up all these actors okay. and actresses? Are you like one of those where you're just constantly like buying metabolites and obsessing over things? It's like, not really. It's just like my idle scrolling time. It's like yeah. a, a celebrity will pop up on Instagram. I'll be like, how old are they? I think that people would be surprised. They'd be like, I didn't realize Cassie was so obsessed with. Celebrity culture. That seems weird. I do the same thing, but it's for celebrity net worth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to, because it's really interesting to know the ups and downs that different celebrities mm -hmm. have. So yeah. you're like, I wonder if that person is really as rich as I think that they should be, or if they've like <laughs> squandered it, or they've been screwed by the industry or something like that. So. Looking for the next uh, uh, Nick Cage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do the same thing, but for astrology, because I, I'm like weirdly fixated on it. I think it's such an interesting thing. So I'll be like, all right, what is Harry Styles' big three? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Oh, that totally fits his personality. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I want to do an episode of this show about astrology at some point, because I think if looking at that through the lens of folklore would be really interesting. When I was doing my dissertation research, astrology came up because my dissertation was on Puritan conversion narratives. And so I went way back to St. Augustine's conversion narrative. And there's a part in St. Augustine's Confessions where he's talking about and debating with himself about the Zodiac and things. And as I was reading Ooh. that, I just went, nothing changes. still talking about that. <laughs> That's great. Except now we have 13, right? Now we have 13 star signs and nobody knows what to do with themselves. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, it was like a weird moment of just amusement, but also despair. Because I'm like, have we evolved even a bit? <laughs> I'm Joel Best. 
<laughs> I uh, I do crawl around looking for uh, strange points of view. A lot of what I write about is social problems. And what I mean by that is, why is it that one year we're worried about one thing and, you know, toxic breast implants, and next year we're worried about road rage or whatever it is. So I am continually crawling around looking for people uh, who are saying sort of uh, strange things. Yeah, I do love to find people who are, you know, saying odd things, because part of what I'm doing is I'm, I'm really writing essays. And, you know, it's fun to have good examples, you know, a little chocolate chips that you can, you can reward three years with. When you're doing that and potentially even communicating with some of the people, do you do you get an intense amount of frustration or do you get a, an intense amount of curiosity or both? Oh, I, I, I get a lot. I view this as really fun. I think mm. it's amusing. I think that a, a lot of what we're doing and what we get outraged about is really the human comedy. And, you know, I'm not really driven by outrage. I'm driven by pointing things out to people. And I think that too much sociology is devoted to either hectoring those you disagree with or uh, preaching to the choir. Mm. What what I try and do is say, look, everybody's doing this, okay? It seems to me that that's an important message. You know, we all become analytic tigers when we're taking apart arguments that we disagree with. And when we hear arguments that we agree with, we tend to cut them a lot of slack. And, you know, I'm suspicious of that. We're not getting any closer to that tower, dude. Every time we circle the mountain, it's the same distance away. Todd must be trying to wear us down Hmm. or run us out of gas. Maybe we just stop. Maybe we try and negotiate our way out of this. We can't just give up. Todd is shaping the reality we are in. How can we possibly get away from that? Well, I guess we'll just have to leave this reality. What? What? Pep, Perry! Trust me. I, I, don't, I don't know, Perry. Hold on to your butts! This is here we go! And that about catches us up. Myself, Mason, Digby, sailing through the air in our heavily modified, slightly impossible 1965 Chevrolet G10 van, the Volkswagen. You know, before we started, a lot of people told us that podcasting is harder than you'd think. I guess I never expected it to be quite this extreme. As for what happens next, you and I will find out at the same time. listening to Digital Folklore. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend or two about it. More than anything else, word of mouth is the best way to help us grow. Special thanks to our many guests this episode. All of the clips you heard were from various guests we've had on the show throughout this season. And thank you as well to Rich Daigle for providing the voice of Todd and Brooke Jeanette for providing the voice of Digby. Check out the show notes for links, information, and for your invitation to join our Discord server. It's totally free, and if you don't already use Discord, 
It's really easy to get set up, and you can come hang out with us and other fans of the show. If you want to support Digital Folklore and get access to special content like exclusive clips from interviews that may be just a bit too spicy to put on a regular feed, go to patreon.com slash digital folklore. Digital Folklore is a production of 8th Layer Media, which I think is a very cool name, even if I have to keep explaining what it means. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh, hey, and don't worry. We're all okay. I promise. Mostly. Mostly. Mostly okay. Where are we? I don't know. This is like a strangely more depressing version of Tots. It just goes on forever. You know, I, I didn't expect the afterlife to have a drop ceiling. Acoustical tiles to keep in the screams? Oh, good thinking. Good thinking. Hey, where's Dave? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey,